Hello, and welcome to Winthrop's Writing Center podcast, Wordplay. I'm your new host, Amber Nelson, and I look forward to exploring the wondrous world of writing and literature with you. Hello, everyone. And for today's episode, we are going to talk about YA literature. And I have a special guest. We have Bree Sharp here, who is a grad assistant in the Writing Center, along with me. And um, currently, they are studying and researching YA literature for a seminar paper for one of the classes that we are in. So I thought it would be interesting to bring him in and get him to talk about some of the YA stuff um, and you know some of the research and their very strong opinions about YA literature, which I am obsessed with. So. Welcome to the pod. How you doing, Bree? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm going to, disclaimer, I will climb on multiple soapboxes during this episode. I have, as Amber said, very strong opinions about YA literature. Also, shout out to Amber for doing with me, because we work together too, so we see each other like every day. See, I was just like, hey, I have free labor here. Like, <laughs> let me... Let me get some uh, let me get some interviews from these people so I don't have to do all of these podcasts by myself. So <laughs> let me bring in some new opinions, some new yeah. new ideas, and why literature is what we gonna do. So yes. I did compile a few questions that I am going to ask Bree. Um, the first one that I want to start with is. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's transcribing for some reason on our audio. We don't, it's, it's fine. We've been fighting with technology today. Yeah. Um, so um, the first thing that I want to ask is, what is your favorite YA piece of literature and what are some things you want to share about it? Okay, so I feel like I should say Abrat because that is the book I'm focusing on for shout out to Dr. Hoffman. This poor man has tried to rein me in so much on this paper. Um, I'm much appreciated. That is not a hit on him. I love him as a professor. Um, no, but I would say Percy Jackson is probably my favorite YA novel, which I feel is like really classic because, oh, it's Percy Jackson. Oh, it was super pop- popular and everything, which like true. It was. It's awesome. I love Rick Riordan. Would die for that man. Um, but it was also super, super groundbreaking as a book itself and as a book series itself because you had these kids with dyslexia and ADHD but in the ter- er, wow I just try to combine two words <laughs> in the early 2000s there we go in the early 2000s you had like this horrible stigma about like having a learning disability mm-hmm. like parents would not get their kids diagnosed with ADHD or dyslexia because heaven forbid they needed some extra help in the classroom so having books with kids that were dyslexic and had ADHD and turning those learning disabilities into like literal superpowers. Like they were, the kids at Camp Half-Blood were dyslexic because their brains were hardwired for ancient Greek. And they had ADHD because that was like ready to fight. And Amber's looking at me like I'm a nerd and it's no, true. <laughs> I'm obsessed with that, that's so cute. <laughs> it is, it's awesome. And so like growing up with that like, Suddenly, like, my problem with paying attention, like, it's normal. It's not weird. It, it was just awesome. And then you have, like, so that, that book series battled so many stereotypes. Um, I'm probably going to talk about this again later in the episode. But you had, like, Annabeth, who was blonde. And it was very much, like, the dumb blonde trope within, like, 
society and within books at the time too. And so having Annabeth, who was blonde, be the daughter of Athena, mm. who it's literally like, this is, I hope nobody strikes me down for this, but was like the smart one, <laughs> like goddess of battle strategy and everything. Like that was super cool. And it just, it touched so many kids and I will die on that hill of Percy Jackson needs to be read by everyone. <laughs> Do you have any other thing you want to say about Aberat? <laughs> <laughs> reminder, you didn't uh, mention this. Reminder, <laughs> Aberat, you are writing a whole paper on, but uh, uh, yes. why, why do you think you like Aberat <coughs> so much? Okay, you know? yeah. So I, I was very morbid as a child. Like when I was like three years old, I spent literally like four years asking my parents what kills you. <laughs> And I was like, what are neurotoxins and what do they do? Like tiny little kid with pigtails and a frilly little shorts going, Dad, what happens if you get a neurotoxin? That's so cute. That is absolutely horrifying, but it's adorable as as well. So, Yeah, so like, and then suddenly there was Aberat. You get to read this book about like, Candy, who goes to this alternate world, and you have all of these really cool characters, and it plays with the idea of body horror and like body modifications. And well, it's not directly about this, it is a theme of like disability within the novel because you have these characters that are like physically disabled, but for their world, it's normal. So they're disabled by our terms, but by theirs, it's like a normal thing. And especially as an adult that like uses a cane to get around because my, the glue of my joints does does not work and they, they like to slip inside. Um, reading that as a kid like really set up a basis for like understanding and like acceptance for when I got to this point. Because like if I hadn't read that and I hadn't read characters that were openly disabled and it was like normal yes candy thought it was odd but she wasn't treating them different she like made sure to like help them if they needed it so like growing up with that and then becoming an adult like i kept that with me especially like interacting with other people that are also physically disabled like it really set up a basis for that of like teaching you and obviously it wasn't meant to probably not i don't think clive barker sat down it was like, I know a disabled adult is going to read this book, so I'm going to put this in there for future reference. <laughs> like, I don't think that's how it worked. He probably was like, body horror, body modification, which now I have things to say about that, but I probably can't <laughs> say it on here because of our six listeners, and one of them is my professor. <laughs> I don't want to go down that. That is another soapbox I can climb on. I think this whole episode is just going to turn into, shout out Dr. Hoffman, we know you're listening to us. You're listening to us. I apologize for one of my references on that paper. Um, I did stop myself from writing about it. You should be proud. Um, But no, it's just, it's, both those novels were like, yes, groundbreaking, super cool, definitely set up how I view the world. They're also just really funny. Percy Jackson, like, title of a chapter is like, something like I accidentally blew up my math teacher like Mm -hmm. dark humor and especially as a kid that had dark humor that was so cool and it also featured like abusive parental relationships and everything so it just touched on so many points 
that like why as a genre does too and that leads into your other questions so i'll hop off this soapbox yeah. it's been seven minutes already <laughs> <laughs> no i appreciate you giving very good responses and clear responses and i, I love that <laughs> Um, my next question is, why do you think that some YA literature is canonized and others are not? So, like, Fahrenheit 451, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, you know, Lord of the Flies. Like, these sorts of things are all considered, you know, canon and will make K-12 high schoolers read them. But why do you think that that is so accepted, but then other newer YA novels are frowned upon and they're looked down upon? Um, what's what's the what, why are critics struggle bussing with the legitimacy <laughs> of of what you know young adult lit hypocrisy because mm-hmm. they're looking at these older novels and it's really easy to look back at older novels that were written in like the nineties eighties the seventies the fifties and be like oh wow this is such cool social commentary we have to read it especially like Fahrenheit four fifty one book burning major issue it's bad here's a book about it. Which, like, that sounded really sarcastic. I do not agree with book burning. I do think it is wrong. Do not do it. Don't. Like, hard and fast, no. Mm-hmm. But you have YA now that deals with the same things, and critics are like, no, it's for children. Oh, no, a 13-year-old is going to read it. We can't, we can't canonize this. And it, they, they deal with the same, like, social problems, mm-hmm. especially, like, Hunger Games is technically becoming more canonized now. But it is such a good book and it's so important, especially today with like the capitalism and everything and you watch what's happening in the world and suddenly like the Hunger Games doesn't seem like so weird and out of the box. And like that is horrifying that we're hitting that part. But having YA books like that is also I'm getting away from your question. I might want to say this, so I'll get back to your question. Um, it's also a way for kids to be introduced to these ideas, or like young adults to be introduced to these ideas without like hitting them in the face repeatedly with like this horrible things happening to the world. They don't need that. Mm-hmm. They're in middle school and high school. That's tough enough. Kids have no moral or ethical code. They're evil. Um, said with love, I have a little brother. Um, <laughs> Experience with the evil, I understand. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, I think critics are scared of the change that way brings because they are very comfortable in academia. They are very comfortable with their research and being in their, like, cozy little offices with stacks of dusty books that they haven't touched in 50 years because they're like super into this one niche mm-hmm. but that completely negates all of the work that YA is doing now and that YA authors are doing now it's just it's nobody they don't want to research it because heaven forbid that their research or what they've said gets discounted and suddenly like they have to reevaluate how they think about literature and what, like, reevaluate what they think about canonizing certain works. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do that. Because that takes some self reflection that, like, they're not comfortable with. Yeah. I think that's a very good point that YA literature has the potential, I think, to change what we view as canon and what we view as, like, worthy of just intellectual discussion and analysis like 
When I think of YA literature, I don't automatically think that there's going to be something intense there. And I know that that's bad. I mean, certain novels I don't think have a ton. Yeah, YA does not always have to be like huge social problem. Right, but they do have the potential to. It's a medium that can introduce tough topics to young people, and it kind of introduces them into the, the methods that we as English majors use when we analyze literature. You don't have to start with Shakespeare and immediately you're not versed in knowing exactly what he's trying to do and all of the social commentary and everything else that's underneath there. Like, you've got to start somewhere, and I think YA literature is definitely an option that would be pretty fun for people. Mm-hmm. I read for my book club a YA novel called The Grace Year, and I kind of thought it was dumb at first, but once I really got into it, I realized it's it has a ton of feminist commentary and commentaries on the patriarchy and different things that are pretty deeply ingrained in our own society. And I was, you know, looking at this female character and being like, dang, man, I've experienced some stuff that she has, obviously not to the dystopian horribleness that she is experiencing in the novel, but it it had the the, the potential to be looked at in a very deep and intellectual way and I was like wow this is kind of cool because it was pretty easy to read and I could make an argument and write a paper about it if I wanted to and I just think that's pretty fun (laughs) yeah that's also another big thing that I found with criticism is that critics are like it's too easy to read it's it's gonna sound really bad they're like it's too accessible to people it doesn't like so there's a big thing in academia from what I found and I say this take everything I say from my own research. This is not a broad stroke for academia all over the world. This is just broad stroke from what I've read. Critics have a big issue with things being easy to read. Because they're like, but it's not like quote unquote special that way. Because if someone can pick up a book, read it and understand it and do something with it, why does it hold merit? You have to be able to take time and think critically like you can do that about almost any book within reason of course but that's just they seem to have really big problems with that and that also leads into like many critics don't like YA because it combines different like genres and mediums like you have the YA genre but it also interacts with the coming of age narrative and postmodernism and romance and fantasy and all of these things and then so many critics are like but it's muddying the waters they're like they're, the genre is no longer pure quote unquote and that's just why like you YA you need the coming of age you need the postmodernism and even if it is just a silly little cozy book it's still like still needs romance in it, Mm -hmm. or like fantasy, and then you have critics who are like, but the fantasy genre is going to get like changed, and yes, YA is changing the face of fantasy and coming of age, but fantasy has so many subsections to it, there is no like hard and fast fantasy, Mm -hmm. there's so many different versions of it, and to say that you have to keep a genre pure, to have it be able to be, I'm liking on the word, I'm staring at your computer screen so I can find it again, a canonize. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to have it be canonized is stupid. Mm-hmm. If, we, if our language can develop, if our dialects can change over time, and the way we use words can change over time, then so can our genres. And trying to hold them, inbox them together, is just absolutely failing the literary community and young readers. 
you're like you're handicapping them essentially oh yeah no I definitely agree with that I think that it's really dumb to be like oh but this certain genre is making all of these other genres that I think are better they're changing and they're adapting and I don't like that that's such an old like mindset it's an old way of thinking like everything changes everything needs to change and People are adapting just like every single day. And I think literary genres need to do the same. Like English degrees are no longer going to be fun to get if our genres don't continue to adapt with the new people that are coming in and getting these degrees. Undergrad students, it's always like, you know, fresh little 18 year olds that are a completely different generation than us. And so I think it needs to be more accessible. And YA genres, at least at Winthrop University, have been taken pretty seriously. There's a YA class that people go over and do. Um, I think they're doing a YA um, class that focuses on disability. That's actually like yeah, a representation. Um, unfortunately, I will not be at Winthrop at that point, which is upsetting. But Everyone boo Amber. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't get more degrees, okay? <laughs> but like YA, I think, is starting to be recognized as having potential, which I think is influential in academia in general. And it's going to make people want to read more YA literature and give themselves a little bit of a break. Just because things are hard doesn't mean that they're great. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, like the Odyssey. Oh, God. It is so big and so thick, and I do not like it. Yeah. And they're like, but it's a classic, but it's important. It's dry. It's dry as a bone. Yeah. It made me, like, want to cry when I had to read it in undergrad. Okay, James Joyce, you know, awesome author. Love what he did. Some of his books, the only thing that saved me was an audio book. Because there's still, it's word salad. It's when it is, it's word salad. You don't need that many words. Everyone knows you're smart. Congrats. Stop using 15 words when you can use one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely hilarious. I have a definite soapbox on accessibility in academia, and I will not get into that today. Um, I do have another question, though. So, why do you think that adults are getting so into YA literature and like book talk and? I mean, I literally just said that my book club read a YA book. Um, a couple of them have been, been, you know, sprinkled throughout our reading list. Why do you think that people are getting into YA as adults? Is, is that something that's going to help legitimize it as a genre or harm it, you think? I think on one hand, it can help legitimize it because it is kind of like narrowing that generational divide. You have like books geared towards young adults and you have middle-aged adults reading it and suddenly they're on the same playing field. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they're both, in theory, viewing these events through the same eyes, like through the eyes of the character and that's creating like a connection between them. And then also you have adults that read YA because it's a way to heal from the trauma. Mm-hmm. It's a way to experience like horrific events re-experience horrific events but it through a softer lens it softens the blow because like a lot of times with trauma like you feel like it takes your agency away and so with YA you have these characters dealing with these horrible things and like battling literal monsters and as an adult getting to read that is so impactful because it's like it's healing your inner child suddenly you can go back and redo this event that happened to you you know, yes, it's fictional. Yes, it's a character. But a part of you is still with that character throughout the entire novel. On the other hand, and here comes my soapbox, on the other hand, pedophilia. It's pedophilia, guys. It's pedophilia. 
Um, <laughs> I got the okay. <laughs> I yeah. got the okay from Amber to say that word. I did allow it. <laughs> I wanted to get that out there right now. Um, you have middle-aged authors writing about underage children and doing sex scenes, and that's just weird. Don't do it. It's strange and uncomfortable for everyone, but you, because you're weird. Um, and if you call an author out about it, and they go, but the age of consent is no. If you look me in the eyes, and you know the age of consent right off the top of your head, not because you went through a traumatic event, but because you're a weirdo, I'm not going to trust you. That's just, no. But you think with book talk, I think that is a major problem with book talk, is you do have these, like, 50-year-old authors writing about 16-year-olds having, like, sex. Like, Fifty Shades of Grey level of detail sex. No, that does, that's not needed. Like, yes, 13-year-olds are, like, puberty feelings. Like, they're going through it. And while YA doesn't need to have any sensuality or sexual elements in it, if you're going to put it in, do Fade to Black. Because Fade to Black is, like, they're making out. End it. Suddenly they're in bed, and oh no, maybe someone doesn't have pants. I'm not sure. Like, there's no detail to it. But it's still opening that conversation. Because, like, 13-year-olds typically will find ways to learn about things. If they're, if they're motivated, they're going to find it. So having that fade to black in novels is a way to, like, show kids and young adults that, like, hey... Yes, this is a thing, but it's like with somebody that you trust mm -hmm. and it's somebody that's safe and it's in a safe environment. It's all consensual. It's all above board. And then you end it. You don't need to give them the details. Mm -hmm. If it comes down to it, they can find it on the internet by themselves. You not need to be 45-year-old author writing about this. Like, that's just wrong. And so, sorry, I cut off no. really quick. Is there an aspect of it, too, with, like, adult readers who are reading about teenagers having sensual instances, that that's kind of problematic? Yeah. Like, there's a disconnect between what they're reading and what they're comprehending, probably, with the age demographic. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's also part of it, is that, like, reading about teenagers doing nasty stuff and it being very, very graphic and detailed is... It's not good. It's sexualizing children, which I think is extremely prevalent in our society mm -hmm. in general. Um, and it sucks that there is a genre section of YA that does that. That's yeah. like softcore porn that people read, but it's teenagers, which makes it not okay. You know? Yeah. Like if you're doing it with a, if you're middle-aged, you're writing about middle-aged adults mm -hmm. having sex. That's one thing. You're writing. This is a young adult book. Age range of YA is up to debate. Many critics will say it's 13 to 18. Others will say it's 18 to 22. Some say it's 13 to 22. That's heavily debated. But either way, you're having impressionable young adults read this. And half the time, what you're writing with those scenes is incorrect. Mm -hmm. Especially, cough, 50 shades of gray, cough. You read, you're giving that to, if a kid gets a hold of that in a YA book, they're going to be like, ah, so that's how it's done. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. They're going to seriously hurt somebody or themselves because the author thought it was a fun thing to write. It's not a fun thing to write. You have to think about the impacts and the audience that you're reaching. 
And with adults reading it, it does normalize, like Amber was saying, it normalizes the sexualizing of children. Mm -hmm. And like, as an adult, I was watching a movie last night, I thought, oh, that character's cute. The character was two years younger than me. And I immediately had like an existential crisis, thinking <laughs> I was a terrible person. I'm like, no, no, what have I done? I'm like, wait, it's only two years. It's not like, no, that's not weird. But I'm like, but I have a whole degree. <laughs> I feel wrong about this. And so I cannot understand how like an adult would feel comfortable with that because it just does not click in my brain. But you know, book talk, there are whole sides of book talk that do that, mm -hmm. that are passing around these books or authors that are loudly talking about these scenes that they've written in their YA novels with their underage characters. And as much as I love book talk and I do love book talk, I'm on like a side of it that I've heavily curated to like match what I'm looking for with books. But every once in a while, some video will cross my For You page from the other side and I'm back to shock and horror. And it just, it does not make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. I can't even begin to try to understand. But again, you can't let that take away from YA. And you can't let that stop you from reading YA, especially if you are an adult. Because again, it is so impactful, even for adults. It is narrowing that, like, divide. It's, even for adults, it's helping with that critical thinking. Because it's not like a news report of everything wrong with the world. It's presenting this idea. It's presenting a fictionalized account of something that more than likely is appearing in our world. And suddenly it's like, you're not alone. And you realize that, hey, maybe this is a problem. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's something that needs to be there. There needs to be a middle ground that in a lot of times authors struggle with finding it. Yeah. I mean, that definitely answers one of my questions that I have is like, what is the negative, you know, criticism on it? And I think that it covers it where it can be extremely problematic just based on the like age range given of the characters and the, the fact that this genre is read by everyone, not just children. So mm -hmm. it's written by adults and everything else. Um, but on like a more positive note, what are some positive things that critics have been saying that you found in your research like are there people that actually do like YA and say see it as like a legitimized um, genre in general yeah so I found this article done by two um, teachers I can't remember if they were high school or middle school but they're two teachers who were talking about how they were integrating YA novels into their classroom and they were talking about how like impactful it was because YA as a whole is a very diverse genre um, of course, when it first started, it was very white, Eurocentric, cisgender, straight characters. Like, everything that you pretty much go, like, hissing at and, like, curses. Um, but it's it's developing as more authors have gotten into it. It's developing, and now you have POC authors writing about their stories, their lives. They're writing about racism and everything that needs to be talked about because, you know, as much as you try to protect these kids they're still going through it. They're still experiencing racism, brutality, all of these things, it is happening. They see it every day. And so these teachers were talking about how when they started bringing YA into their classrooms, these students that wouldn't talk during class, these students that were like barely paying attention, like visibly not with it, started opening up. 
they started getting excited about the assignments. They were reading, they were lighting up. They had ideas and opinions and everything because they could connect with these characters. And especially back to Percy Jackson, you have books like Percy Jackson which are fighting stereotypes of like the dumb blonde. And now it's getting turned into a TV show on Disney Plus, which if you don't have that, you can probably find it other places. Don't don't come at me for that. We are not legally um, responsible for any um, pirated information <laughs> that I'm might not... be pirated media. It's yeah. not our fault. <laughs> don't do it. No, don't pirate media. It's not like fight capitalism. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. God, fight capitalism. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but you have like Leah Jeffries, who is a young black girl, a young black woman. Playing Annabeth, and so many people, the internet was in uproar when that casting happened. They were like, no, she's not my Annabeth. Yes, she is. Annabeth is for all the girls that haven't seen themselves in media. Annabeth is meant to be a place where girls can put their hopes and dreams onto her and be like, man, I can't wait to be like her when I grow up. And yes, in the early 2000s, it was the dumb blonde. And we needed an Annabeth to fight against that. And now we need an Annabeth to be there for all the young black girls and young black women who don't see themselves in literature or media. And that's the positive of YA is how diverse it is. You have, like, Shadow Bone and you have Inej. I think I'm looking at Amber and she's not giving me anything. <laughs> Am I right? I, I did read this book. I don't know. <laughs> well, Is it the main character? I-N-E-J. Inej, I think. I don't know. I think. Um, and she doesn't... I cannot remember her exact background. I'm so sorry for this. But she has a different background than a lot of the characters in there. And I think for whatever reason it was that I'm blanking on right now, she doesn't kill people. And mm-hmm. that's, like, respected. No, he's like, ah, weird. No, they're like, okay, yeah, totally. Like, I got you. I understand. Mm-hmm. And then you have Kaz, who just steps in and offs people all the time because she won't do it. And it's like, you have like a symbiotic relationship. Off topic. I got off topic there. Back on topic. <laughs> um, you, but you know, Stato and Bone, you have these characters. And you have like Kaz, who uses a cane to get around. And again, hi, adult that uses a cane to get mm-hmm. around. Like, that's so cool. That's so cool. And especially because I was a substitute teacher for a little while. And there were kids that were using so many mobility aids in those schools. And so having characters that also use mobility aids are visibly, physically disabled is so important. Because when you are that age, when you are a young adult, it feels like the entire world is stacked against you. And like it's very easy to fall into the fallacy of like, I'm the only person that's gone through this. I'm the only person that feels this way. So having characters like that is so important, so impactful. Having characters that are Native American, that are POC, that have experienced these wide variety of things is absolutely incredible because it hits so many points that these kids are experiencing, that young adults are experiencing. And then again, it touches on adult adults that have been through these same things. And you can have black women, black men reading these books and being like, finally someone is putting a voice to this experience. And like that's, and you have like queer kids, Nico D'Angelo and Percy Jackson. You can tell I really love this book series. <laughs> Nico D'Angelo and Percy Jackson. I'm a young kid that grew up. I went to Catholic school, y'all. I went to Catholic school. <laughs> <laughs> so reading that book 
suddenly I'm like, man, I can't wait to be like him when I grow up. I should have realized some things sooner, but I didn't. It's fine. <laughs> I'm like, man, I can't wait to be like him when I grow up. And like, that's like, you have kids that do know about the queer community and it gives them hope for the future. And again, that's awesome. You need the diversity that YA offers. Mm -hmm. And you have a lot of critics that do agree with that. And a lot of critics that are like, no matter the age range, YA needs to be canonized, needs to be talked about more because it's making massive moves in the literary community that are so very important. I'm gonna climb off my soapbox yeah. now. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that was a fantastic little wrap up of like <laughs> our discussion on YA literature because we just think it's really good and there's so much potential for representation and commentary for not only young adults and adolescents that are reading it, but for adults, grown grown people that we look back and read these, you know, stories that have children that look like them and mm -hmm. go through these experiences that they, they've felt and that can heal your inner child. And I just think the potential of YA is absolutely amazing. And Brie, I appreciate you coming onto the show and talking about everything that you have hyperfixated on for the last <laughs> semester um, because we've had good conversations in here. So I knew that there was some uh, some information I could get from you. Information. I do want to say I know I focused a lot on like the heavily of like black community. That's because a lot of the critics I found were within the black community and was like the two educators I was talking about were black women. Nice. That's why I focused so much on it because mm -hmm. I felt like I wanted to give that disclaimer. I yeah. wasn't just off the wall shouting. No, I think that that's definitely a major part of like social commentary in general in America right now. So I think that that definitely is something that's looked up, looked at a lot. And, you know, it's awesome that you found critics that are talking about that aspect of it because I think it's largely ignored, mm -hmm. at least in YA Lit. So yeah. that's awesome. But thank you for coming on the show. Um, we had a really good discussion. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm sure that I'll um, berate uh, Bree and all of the other GAs at some point to get an interview for next season. So if you guys want an episode on fan fiction, please email Amber. Hint, hint. Please let us come on here and talk about fan fiction. <laughs> I'm begging. I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll be our next season is I'll have Eleanor and Bree and me all talk about our fan fiction love. So I've been look, reading it since fifth grade. Let me talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll definitely be an episode soon. But thank you all for listening. And um, come see us at the Writing Center next week for finals. Um, and just good luck surviving. Uh, I will be posting another uh, final episode for this season for finals week. Um, with some stress relief tips and just uh, overall good morale um, sort of speeches. So look forward to that. Good luck. Finish up your papers. Finish up what you need. We're here at the Writing Center if you need us. Yep, come say hi. All right. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Winthrop's Writing Center podcast, Wordplay. I'm your host, Amber Nelson, and I'll see you next time.